Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsolla.pro slash AOIAAS. Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup to bringing over 100 award-winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game, perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM8Bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM8Bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at im8bit.com. Hi, I'm Austin Wintry, and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. Today, I chat with Jacob Schmid, who is the all things audio composer, programmer, uh, setter of aesthetics for the recently released Cocoon. He worked previously at Play Dead on Inside, and we talk about his history, his sort of involvement with electronic music and how that led to being a software engineer and audio programmer and the really interesting things that happened on Inside and then the really, really interesting things that he did on uh, Cocoon. I I found this like a, a shot in the arm of just massive amounts of concentrated inspiration and, and fascinating discussion. So I think you will too. At least I hope so. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Jacob Schmid, am I pronouncing that um, re- reasonably accurately? It is definitely good enough. Definitely good enough. I'll I'll take that. Well, thanks so much. Um, genuinely so excited uh, to 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 talk with you. Uh, I really want to get into Cocoon. I played through the whole game and really kind of put it under a bit of an audio microscope while I was going through it. Uh, but also, I've spent the last however many years it's been telling everyone that I think Inside may be the most perfect game ever made by anybody. And so everybody remotely affiliated with that is sort of instantly a hero of mine uh, because I just think it's it's an absolute uh, incredible feat. And we did uh, a lovely chat on here with, uh, with Martin about it uh, some months ago and um so in any case it's a real pleasure to be meeting you uh and 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 chatting with you and how are you today how's your day going uh, well uh, uh, after this uh, great introduction of yours it's, go- it's already going much better uh <laughs> thank you uh the uh yeah it, it's uh, it's nighttime here in in copenhagen and it's cold but uh, i'm 
I'm a, I have some coffee. I think I'll I'll be okay. Good. Well, it's cold by Los Angeles standards uh, here this this nice crisp morning. So we're kind of united by uh, our coffee and our comparative temperatures. Um, why don't you, if you, because I, I, I actually don't really know this, um, walk me through just a little bit of background on what got you into the world of, of, of audio. Particularly, it's interesting to me because you're obviously, you know, a musician and you have a, a deep understanding of technology. We'll get into the whole uh, synthesis aspect of Cocoon, of course, is a massive discussion. Um, but you're also, if I understand correctly, an audio programmer, which is very much not a given amongst audio professionals. It's a very specialized and, and challenging sort of subdiscipline of, of – I think of it as a subdiscipline of audio rather than software engineers that sort of end up getting in into audio program because it's so specific. You kind of have to already be a musician or, or, or a sound designer or something, it would seem, to really understand how these concepts are going to play out. Um, but that's might be my own blind spot. So correct me if you, if you disagree, but also I'd love to just know, you know, from how does one grow up and end up with this interesting mixture of talents and craft? I think I thought about this because, um, I often heard, heard this, uh, question and, and I thought about like, what, what, what was unique about my background? I think there was a particular breed of uh, computer musician or composer that from my generation and maybe slightly older that they 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 did computer music back when the tools were required a lot of understanding of, of hardware or they wrote their own tools and and this kind of thing so i i was uh, in in this very like i i think maybe it's even kind of a european thing mm. where, where there was a lot of these kind of hobby music technologists that were just sitting at home and writing software and and uh, composing music and and to me it it it's, it, it feels very natural like i was i always loved music and i i played piano since i was a little kid and uh and then programming was like the more the most interesting new thing that that just got me so hooked and then those two com combined why not uh, yeah. Is this something that you would ascribe to? Uh, I remember I did a chat with Jesper Kidd, who talked about growing up um, during this, uh, particularly in Denmark, the popularity of the tracker scene. Uh, and, and I would assume that it's sort of under that same general umbrella that you're talking about, the kind of music technology Absolutely. as one uh, and that makes a lot of sense. So I guess coming out of a, of a similar impulse. Now, was there um, a sense that this could turn into a, a profession? Uh, you know, how at what point do you go? This is a really cool thing I enjoy doing. To I want to put food on the table by doing this. Uh, that to me, that always sounded impossible. So I, I was, uh, I was, uh, music was like a, a hobby and I never saw any way of, I, I'm from a, like a small city kind of thing. And, and, uh, uh, we, uh, I, I didn't see any way to, to, uh, to make a career out of music. And then, uh, uh, I 
thought that I could study music. I could become like a, a teacher or something, a music teacher. So I studied music at the university, and then um, I, I I kind of ran out of steam, and then I, I ended up studying computer science instead because I already knew how to program, and I thought that that's a way to get a job. Computer science, they they always need programmers, and then uh, that and that's that's how uh, the I started with with games was through computer science, not through music. That was actually going to be one of my my questions as well because I, I wasn't sure where your entry point came in so walk me through that i mean what i was it just as simple as a a job listing on needing an engineer and and one thing leads to another or, or were you actively kind of a gamer excited about the prospect of games at that time or you know what was sort of your relationship to the general idea of it i was a, a big game player when i was uh, young and it was like uh, Commodore Amiga games, and uh, there was like the very European uh, focus at the time, and and uh, and later the PlayStation One and, and these uh, uh, these games. I I played a lot, and then I think we were I was I was studying for like general programming, and then I actually met Jeppe at the university, oh, and wow. we. Uh, and uh, he he uh, started the first year. They had a games uh, course or or a games class at the university. He went to to that one, and uh, I didn't because I was still skeptical skeptical about like can you <laughs> can you even make a career out of that? And then uh, he he actually was the one who suggested I apply for a small uh, video game company in in Copenhagen where he had gotten a job and he was like, you you should apply. You're uh, wow. even better programmer than I am. You should apply for this. And then that was that was how I got started. What year was that? How long ago? I didn't realize you guys knew each other this long. That's amazing. Uh, we, we met each other in like early 2000s, maybe like 2003, four or something. I, I don't remember exactly. And then the first, when we were done with studying, we were, uh, it was like, I think 2007, 2008, I started uh, working on this forex uh, strategy game that no one's ever heard of uh, in Copenhagen, and uh, and I was I was a programmer, and Jeppe was a programmer, and uh, there was there was uh, the plan for the music of the game was let's just reuse these tracks we have lying around, let's not make new music. And uh, also the sound effects, we're just going to find some sound effects or something. And then I was there and I was like, wait, I I can actually, I can do this. I can make music. I can also probably make some sound effects. Uh, uh, can I have a shot at this? And then uh, that was like my first uh, mm. music gig, you can say, in, in uh, video games. And this, you said no one's heard of it. I, was this game released? What is it, what's it called? It cost, it's called Lost Empire Immortals. Uh, and it has, uh, it, it was my first uh, dynamic music system that I wrote. I wrote for that game, and uh, I actually thought it was quite good. But the uh, the game was a little rough, so it it didn't get a, a good reception when it came out. But the, I think the soundtrack was was decent. So what uh, what was then? Uh, we kind of we kind of jumped straight into the. The sort of technical branch of your upbringing, but but um, but musically, obviously, 
in the case of something like Cocoon, it's all about synthesis, but were you uh, an instrumental performer of some kind or, or was it always very technology based? Uh, is that, is that where your head, like if I ask you just sort of what defines you musically, or at least up to this point, 20 years ago, is it very synth oriented and, and electronics oriented? I, I think I was always a little bit of both because I, I was, uh, I, I had, I played piano for many years and, and was, uh, uh, semi-serious like I attended some uh, competitions and and uh, and and did fairly well mm. but uh, it was like classical piano and then I was uh, improvising a lot like that was the thing I was the most excited about it was just improvising and and making up my own uh, harmonies and, and this kind of thing and then um, uh, and then uh, during that whole time I was making computer music on with the different tools. So I started with the the trackers, as you mentioned, sound tracker, and even before that, uh, uh, one called sound effects, that's very, not very well known. And, um, and then I went on to like, I, I started buying uh, synthesizers and uh, bought a emu sampler for uh, in, in the 90s for a, a MIDI uh, setup. And, and I when I studied music, I was like camping out in the electronic music studio because they had synthesizers and stuff I could play with. So I was I was making some little tracks there, and yeah, yeah. so it was like a bit of both always. I think for me, yeah, no, but it's a good bit of context. So for on this, uh, you know, forex strategy game, um, out of curiosity, just as somebody who's super passionate about these dynamic music systems uh how did it work what was the kind of what was the nature of your inputs and outputs and that sort of thing yeah the the i i didn't have any data from the game so my my only goal was that i i would make some clips that would be played back uh on top of each other randomly but i would make a a, a system i just thought of this idea that what if the the different uh little tracks I produce have a division in, in the frequency spectrum. So we have this track has only bass and high treble. And this other track is just like a pad that is like in the mid range. And then they're all in the same key. So those two could be mixed together. But another one that had another element in the in the bass uh, or, or in the mid range could not be played on top of those. And then that, that logic was just going right. at all times. And there would be a, a, a special track for rhythmic elements, so there could be only one rhythmic element playing at a time. So uh, that's the way it works. Very simple and 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 worked okay, I think. Well, but it sounds like the key is that it, it was probably uh, very non-repetitive. Uh, you know, I mean, it sounds like it, it probably very nearly always sounded a little different or a lot different depending on how those tracks were produced. That's uh, the goal, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. The the it's interesting. The sort of total independence from the game also uh, is a fascinating. I, I I sometimes say to folks that it's it's almost like a dark secret of interactive game audio that sometimes <clears throat> you can make something seem very dynamic just by being randomly different. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it's true. like a, it's like a dirty it's like a dirty secret. Um, you know uh, where the player will project some kind of intention and meaning on a collision of elements that that no two players will have quite the same but um 
but in any case, okay, so you were already friendly with Yepe. So then at some point, I would think a few years after this is when you come to uh, Play Dead, right? Uh, uh, and and begin this um, this collaboration. I be- and you worked with Martin, uh, I think, uh, directly. How did that come about? I, I imagine your relationship with Yepe was was key to that happening, if I had to guess. That's- yeah, again, he he uh, he was uh, he was helpful. So I I was uh, doing some other uh, projects. The the first company I worked for uh, went bankrupt, and then there was a uh, uh, I did some different projects. One of one of which was a, a dynamic music system that would be like a middleware that would react to a game, and then it would use a hierarchical graph based structure to uh, to play. Um, uh, samples sounds in uh, synchronized and uh, I, I and we got some uh, support from the government for it and uh, i ended up having like a really nice prototype but not a product per se but like a nice prototype and i um i at in 2011 or 12 i i went to play that because yebe said uh you should apply now. They are looking for a new audio programmer. Uh, you'll be perfect for this. Uh, go talk to them. And then I went. Uh, I showed my prototype for that software, and I, I talked to Martin, and he showed me what he was working on, with which was already very, very interesting. And and uh, and then I ended up getting that, that job. And this would have been for Limbo, I assume. Uh, no, this was for Inside. So Yeba had 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 they had finished. Uh, Limbo and Yebe had been working there and I've been doing the other things meanwhile and then in yeah 2011-2012 I think that, that was when Inside was it was early but it, they were working on it. Right I see I see so I, I had it in my mind that you worked on both so you joined uh, starting with, with Inside. I, I'm curious to ask you just as an aside I remember when I played that game I was talking with a game developer friend of mine and because uh, wasn't inside seven or eight years or something like that, it was a very long uh, development period, if memory serves. Uh, six, six years, I think. Or, Say, okay, or, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Which on the surface of it feels like a very long time for a game like that, but but yes. it's also the most immaculately executed game, both in terms of clarity and just the artistic statement of it, but also even just polish. It is it is bulletproof. It's absolutely bulletproof. And so my, my friend's theory, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, was that probably pretty quickly that game existed accurately in gray box in some form or another, where it was like pretty close to what would ship, but that the majority of the time was on that perfection and making those small changes that all add up and add up and add up and the polish and all that sort of thing, as opposed to halfway through, okay, we're going to totally change the mechanics or we're, or like, you know, the story has to be reconceived or, or, you know, we're getting rid of our multiplayer deathmatch mode. You know what I mean? How some, some games, uh, some games have really big left turns uh, partway, wow. like partway through this one felt like it had clarity for a long time and it was just all about polish. But is there any truth to that? In in the way you presented, I I would say yes because the 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 feeling of the game and the elements that were there were were there for a long time and were polished. Uh, but then the, the the other thing about Inside is that it it doesn't reuse a lot of gameplay. So there there is like yeah um, a lot of content. There's a lot of 
very uh, separate small little elements that all are custom and and they are uh, they some of them were invented like uh, uh, later on in the process as as far as i remember and i remember one one uh, thing it was like my first experience of the plated development style that was it was a shock to me uh, i i went there the first day and i i met up with uh, uh, Peter, who was uh, uh, who was working there at the time, Peter Bukhart, he works for Lego now, um, and he uh, he showed me what he was working on. He was working on the boards that you pull from a door, so you can enter the door and then you fall down, and then there's this row of zombies walking. But that that those boards were were individually customized. They had hit points. They would regenerate their hit points if you didn't pull fast enough. And he was writing this whole script for one board, and I was I was astounded that like, oh, this is the way you work here. You guys are insane. This is gonna take forever. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it the shows. Whole thing is, is like that. It's yeah. an, it's amazing attention to detail. It, it really is. You feel you feel that uh, working on. I mean, I worked on Journey, which is somewhat similar in that there's no real, it's not systemic. It is a series of very bespoke moments in that same way. But somehow Journey feels simpler to me than, than, than I mean, well, Inside has actual proper puzzles that have to be solved and things like that. So it, I, it is more complicated, I guess, as a player experience. But just, yeah, all those. Then the Journey little- has the magical multiplayer element, which is something that we later didn't. Uh, what with so far <laughs> yeah it, it that one was not easy for them to to dial in and figure out and uh but yeah in any case um so i i know i have seen firsthand a bit that idea of every moment has to be sculpted manually there's no way to kind of copy paste assets and reskin them or something it's pretty much even even just the geometry of of the the player of the map, basically all, everything is just so custom, but, uh, so, so, so explain to me kind of the dynamic. Obviously I spoke with, with Martin, uh, on here and we talked at length about his process and, and, and kind of what went into the development of the sound. But obviously this is a game where the sound design and the music heavily kind of interweave with each other. And the whole world is kind of a unified audio experience. So what, from your point of view, what was the nature of the collaboration? Where did your work, stop and his start if that was even obvious at the time or in hindsight yeah it, it was very obvious uh Martin had uh, uh in the beginning he he had like very very uh, concrete specific problems he wanted solved uh for instance the the big uh, lump of uh, bodies that you uh, control spoiler mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the game uh, yes. He was working on a prototype for that that he had built himself, and it was amazingly uh, well thought out and and intricate. And he was like, "Yes, but we need to turn this into like a general system that's gonna run well in the game, and and we need this these requirements, these requirements, this type of sequencing I want." And and then I would be like, "Okay, I know how to solve this." So I would just write tools, and he would be. Um, uh, using the tools and and that's it. So I I didn't I didn't uh, produce a single piece of sound for the game, but the systems underneath the audio I I wrote most of. 
Ah, that's that's interesting. I I had assumed that just as part of shipping it, that invariably those borders would kind of permeate a little bit. But that's that's uh, that is uh, that is fascinating to hear. Uh, well, freaking bravo! Uh, literally to everyone involved. To me, that is a game that every single person on the team deserves uh, accolades. I mean, it is just. I really mean it when I say I think it is a perfect game. I think it is one of those that that it shows the elegance of what a game can do that no other medium can do. You could not duplicate that experience. Yeah. And even just even just from a unbelievably elegant design standpoint, you know, character cold open, no game prologue. It was the year 2175. None of that. We just start on a shot, kid walks into frame from the left. You just think, maybe I'll point him to the right. Immediately it says, yep. I, it was amazing to me how it could tell you nothing and tell you so much. Just unbelievable. Uh, to me, it is, it is absolutely the shining. If we have to make another Voyager space probe with a golden etched uh, vinyl record uh, to represent like the best of mankind, that is the game that for me, I would say, if you want to show what video games are as, a, as an artistic medium where design and mechanics and audio and storytelling all come together in this package of just supreme elegance. For me, Inside will forever, or not forever, hopefully someone makes something even more amazing someday. But for now, that to me is is just the is just the quintessential. So uh, I, I, I envy your uh, opportunity to be part of something. Also say, uh, some people would also say journey for that uh, particular question. But, uh, well, yeah. No, that's very kind of them. I'm happy to fight them. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, there was, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, weird uh, tape loops and electrified skulls and, and, uh, that sort of stuff. But, um, uh, in any case, so, all right. And then at some point, obviously, um, inside is, is finished and I'm assuming, um, like where I don't know, I haven't read much about this transition to starting a new studio and with Yepe and, 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 uh, um, beginning work on Cocoon. I don't actually know how long it took and how, was it relatively soon after uh, Inside launched that uh, the studio was formed and you you moved over? Kind of walk me through that uh, that story. And, and obviously here your, your, your role expanded considerably uh, compared to uh, Inside. Um, I think uh, what happened is that Yebe wanted to uh, make his own uh, project and and uh, we we had been talking for fun about like what if we I I I'd read the the book Masters of Doom which I thought was so was a fun story about starting a new company even though even there was uh, trouble later on but the the founding a new start studio sounded kind of fun in a way and and uh, so but Yebe left uh, played it and uh, we talked and and. And I decided that um, I was, I think I was just, I was just 40 at that point. And I thought, uh, if I have to jump into a, a crazy new adventure, uh, this is the time to do it. I'm not getting any younger. This would be probably a, a, a good time to do that. And um, so I, I decided to to join Yebe. And he was, uh, he had the idea for Cocoon. Uh, he was started talking about that uh, right as he had left uh, uh, played it. And he was explaining it to me and it was like this 
I, incomprehensible what he was uh, trying to explain. <laughs> like he had this mental map of this game and I just saw like nonsense in front of me when when he was trying to explain it. Um, so, but he kept talking about it and he, he it sounded very fascinating and and like, yes, let's, let's, let's try to make this. It sounds like a good idea. And then we founded the company in 2017, which is, I, I think I, I, I stopped at Playdate in 2016 after the I had to finish the the PlayStation port was the last one mm -hmm. I think I worked on and then it was like okay so we, we now now inside is out every, everything is okay and then this is a time to to try to go and start something new uh, yeah so and there was so just me and Yeb in the beginning wow so and and uh, six years basically from then to now. Yes, six and a half years. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one one of my uh, thoughts when I, we started the new studio was, uh, if if I keep working at Playdate, each production time is so long, I I can't make that many games before I'm retiring. And uh, but if we start our own studio, we can make a game twice as fast. And that was a total illusion. Well, <laughs> so we ended up having the same production time. Yeah, well, this is the this is what happens when they're just so meticulous and so, you know, there's a we real inherent in some of those uh, ways of looking at it from Plated. I think we 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 uh, we also once want it to be uh, very uh, small but perfect in a way like that's what we want out of our games. It, yeah, it you feel that it really feels like a kind of genetic parent-child relationship where it's not the same. It's it's the same where if the parent was an artist and the child becomes a surgeon or something, like there's a distinct identity um and the mechanics are very different and and even things like in those very few places where you can die, it's not really it's not really approached the same way at all. It's 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 mm -hmm. it's it's not really death in the traditional video gamey sense, and certainly not in the way that Inside does it, uh, where it's it's much like no no you screwed up try again. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, so you can feel that it it has its own distinct philosophies and and can and design sort of ideas, but there's a real like there's the art style is sort of a a three D uh, version of a similar. Uh, sort of taste flavor with its own uh, qualities and um but so yeah it's sort of i guess you could say it's it's kind of takes some of the best aspects of of inside in particular and and then runs with them in a totally new direction so how much of that would you say was there from the start versus the product of this many years of experimenting and iteration i think some of our Approach. I mean, Yebe being uh, uh, doing gameplay for for Limbo and Inside. Of course, that I think that comes across in how the puzzles are designed and how we, I think, the approach to teaching players how to play the game. This is actually something that happens through the whole game. You are you are being taught new mechanics almost until the very end of the game, and this is, I think, a, a core design philosophy that Yebe has. That mm. that is see in in the other games as well and uh, um, and then the 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 uh, i guess the approach to wordless storytelling and and uh, no ui <laughs> kind of the th some things that we also just i think we 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 enjoyed so much in in uh, inside limbo and we, we also wanted to replicate that 
But then the art style is is completely different because the art director is uh, Alvin Coe, and he is a uh, he didn't work at Playdate. He is a, a, a from a different background and has a very different eye for for design. How long vision. was it just the two of you before other people started to join the team? Uh, I don't remember. We got Alvin pretty quickly. Uh, and then uh, it was us three uh, working together for a while. And I was doing, uh, me and Jebe was doing all the programming and uh, and and uh, Erwin was was started to prototype the, the art style, which was also a learning process to mm. like figure out what, what is it we want, what what perspective, what what choice, what choices, the level of detail, and how do we guide the player around and they, these kind of things. We had to kind of learn uh, or relearn in a way uh, together. Did I read correctly? I I I read an interview with Yepe on online somewhere that that the game was originally also in two D, and that uh, that or at least early prototypes of, uh, were experimented before shifting to this more isometric three D approach. How long did that last? Uh, Yepe made a, a gameplay prototype that was uh, it, it was funded by the the Danish Film Institute. Uh, and and he he just made it alone. Loan. Uh, we made another game, uh, Jebe and me, called One Forty, uh, which was a a, a rhythm based uh, platformer game with flat two D graphics. And mm-hmm. his uh, prototype for uh, Cocoon was also the same style of graphics, just like flat two mm-hmm. D graphics, which he, he was very familiar with at that point. It was easy for him to make a prototype that way. And then we tried to develop that 2D style into something that would look uh, cool in a finished game. But only when we hooked up with Erwin, got, we got this kind of like, okay, th- 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 this is what we want. And it's not 2D anymore. It's like a, a isometric style, as, as you say. Hmm. Um, so the big question, of course, uh, is this commitment to everything being synthesized uh no recordings no you know violin solos all this kind of thing um was this part of your idea from the start did this did did yepe and you kind of develop this collaborative where did this because that's what i like about it is that that's a philosophy that you then go, okay, this is sort of like the North Star, you know, that that will guide all the decisions we make. This is something I also try to do in my work and, and say, there's, I have like rules. I'm not going to, I'm going to only use this or I'm never going to use that and, and start to take things off the table because the creative challenge, obviously, of saying, okay, well, if I'm not allowed to, you know, if I'm not allowed to use all these conventional means, uh, where do I go? How, how did you arrive at that? You know, was it from the start? All that I just want to know because I want to unpack how you made some of these sounds. Yeah, uh, I was just reminded when you uh, when you said the the what you're not allowed to do. I was reminded of I just I read about the I think it was Peter Gabriel's third or fourth album where where uh, they would record drums but they were not allowed to use symbols of any kind so they 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 just made had to invent a drum production style that didn't require uh symbols i think i thought it was fun, fun there's a um, 
I, uh, yeah, in this, in the, uh, like 50s, 60s time period, um, in Italy, uh, the composer Ennio Morricone was part of, uh, an improvisational music ensemble where the rule was you have to play either an instrument that you don't play, or if you do play it, you have to play it in a way that's not normally how it's supposed to be played. So it's like this very avant-garde kind of group where, you know, obviously the music is probably quite, hard to listen to for most people but it's the it's the very essence of experimental uh, as a result you know that and i love that i love this challenge of okay flute but you know don't blow into it it must it's a percussion instrument or whatever you know what i mean that kind of thing yes that's very fun i i think um i i'm trying to uh because it's so long ago like the decisions are became vague to me so i've kind of kind of retraced my own steps to figure out where it came from i think the original emphasis was i i really really wanted to uh, have a real-time synthesis element in the game so i wanted to have a a a synthesis plugin that ran while the game was running and then i thought it can't that can't be the whole soundtrack so i need to have something that fits a, a, a software synthesizer that's running real time so Maybe we say it's all synthesizers. I'm allowed to use um, the the normal stuff I use in in Ableton Live, and and I was discovering Bitwig at the time, which I ended up being uh, being extremely useful. Um, and then it's like, okay, I I think I have my rule for this game. I want something that has like seventies uh, new age aesthetics, like a, yeah. a, a Tangerine Dream or a, 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 a um, late runner what's the yeah like vangelis from? vangelis uh, like his spiral album i don't know if you heard but it's mm-hmm. like a very very, very cool uh, synthesizer album and uh, i thought okay th- this is what i'm going for and and i want everything to be synthetic on the music side and and uh, and that's it and that, that that's an easy uh, decision from my side i i know how to do that and then the the other decision was, what about the sound design? How do we make sound design that fits? And me being the only audio person there in the team at that point, I have to make some decisions about that. And I I didn't know that how many people we would be on the team. So I thought I might have to do all the sound design for this, similar to what we did for 140. We might mm-hmm. not get funding, so we can hire a, a, a real sound designer. So uh, I was like, okay, what if all the sound sound design is synthetic and even a little bit music-like. So maybe the the lines between sound design and music are blurred in a similar way they were in 140. And um, then there was like, okay, we, we have a concept now. This is what I'm going for. And then I, I, I had to stick to that afterwards, which was the scary thing as the project grew in scope. Yes, I'm all too familiar with that. You come up with an idea that seems super awesome, and then you start thinking ahead to executing it in reality and making it real, and the terror starts to set in. <laughs> um, it's all based on your crazy decision that you made early on. <laughs> I always joke that it's that scene in Independence Day where uh, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum's characters make this pitch to fly the alien spaceship up to the mothership and plant a computer virus and all the generals and military people go, okay, great, go do it. And then the two of them look at each other going, oh, shit, we have to actually do this now. Oh. Uh, 
I always say this is basically a snapshot of game design. You know, you 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 have this incredible thing that everybody can picture, and we have that wonderful fantasy moment where the game exists perfectly in all of our heads. Uh, and then, and then, okay, 24 months or whatever, 36, 48, <laughs> for how do we make this real? It's quite, it's quite challenging, but, um, but, uh, in any case, so, uh, so, okay, I want to, I want to look, uh, t- talk a little bit more about this, um, real-time synthesis versus the, the pre-baked elements. Uh, cause I also want to get into the actual implementation, implementation, uh, I, ha- I had a theory about what was going on with some of the elements when I was playing the game that felt a little unique, but I, I want to get there second. Um, uh, for, so how much would, of, uh, if I were to just take a random five-minute snapshot of gameplay, uh, or maybe that's too short, but some chunk of gameplay, how much of that is being generated in real time as you're describing with essentially a synth plugin of some kind? And how did you manage to kind of what, – what did you use and how did that kind of – exist in the game uh and uh, and and how much of the sonic how much of the rest of it you know is elements that you've made in advance that are being triggered like any typical kind of audio like more traditional setup yeah so so the for the the if you're speed running the game you you will you will hear a lot of pre uh made uh, music being triggered but if you are playing like a normal player and you get stuck in a puzzle and you you mm-hmm. you you linger around for a while you will be hearing mostly uh, generative music so the i i used to say for a normal session i i don't know i'm basing this on on nothing but i think for a normal session is like around 90 percent or something generative and uh, so wow. so uh, uh, so does that mean like the, stingers and things entering into new areas and and uncovering that would be the more pre-baked but once it kind of takes over into a more ambient mm. yes that's how it works uh, so the the stingers the uh it is exactly entering a new area it's opening a portal it is getting a new ability all of those are are uh, pre-made and then they they often the, the way it works is that they they finish playing and then they just naturally just jump to a, a generative uh, little piece that is uh, that fits the style of the of the stinger. So explain to me how the generative aspect uh, of it works. You know how complicated of a, a setup is this? Is this generating based on on is it randomization like your forex strategy game? Is it based on uh, inputs from the game or from the player? Walk, walk me through. What is happening there? How variable could it get if I looked at five different playthroughs of different play? I obviously only know my experience, and so I don't. I, it's so smooth. The thing that it impresses you with is this whole thing is just elegant. It never. There's no obvious kind of edges, so it's hard for me to know how it worked. Which I think is that's impressive. It's like a Las Vegas magician where you don't know how they did it. That's that's nice to hear because that was the thing I was the most worried about is the like the the I feel like the stingers are, are produced in a way where I can I can I can clearly hear that oh I'm I'm using this kind of distortion I'm using this kind of re- I'm using Valhalla vintage reverb uh, you know yeah, and sure. then uh, the 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 real time stuff it doesn't have any of that like that that so so uh, I I'm very happy that you think that uh, the um, the implementation is uh, we use uh, FMOD, 
and the uh, I wrote uh, fmod plugins in C++ that uh, that covered different types of synthesis that we know already, most of them, uh, for, like common types. And then they, uh, but the interface is very custom for this project even. Like they, they could be used for a different project, but like the, it has like knobs for scales that are predefined for this project and uh, and these kind of things that that are very custom and and uh, yeah so so uh, i have a, a subtractive synthesizer plugin like a, a moog kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, that does arpeggios and baselines and this type of stuff and then there is a granular synthesis uh kind of my own weird version of that uh on a on a synthesized piece of of uh, audio that is uh, built in and then uh, Nina, you you you're the 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 source for the granular synth is something that you created and already like it's not it's not feeding in for example something that's elsewhere from the game or something like that no it, it is just uh, it is just that one one uh, bank of sounds uh, yeah. that's in there uh, mm-hmm. the whole time and then uh, there is a an fm synthesizer that i came up with uh, 10 years ago uh, it is a um, uh, the, the whole idea was that the patches were that there was a lot of operators if you know uh, fm synthesis is about having a few operators that you decide how they're connected this one has as many as possible as many as i have cpu power for and then the the algorithms themselves are generated uh, from code so i don't have to hook them up myself wow. they, i just have an algorithm that hooks them up and then i have two of those with the same number of operators, and then I can morph between them. And in it turns out in the in the spaces between two such patches, you get some really interesting, strange sounds because they are not like they, they it becomes atonal or or inharmonic and and has these weird, interesting. Uh, some of them sounds like deep uh, brass sounds or something like that. It's, it's huh. very uh, interesting to work with. As the game has come out and you've seen people play it, how much, how, like, how prescriptively designed is the is the like when you're talking about custom scales and things? Obviously, it's possible to narrow the constraints of a design like this such that there won't ever be any major surprises because there's only so far the system is physically capable of going. Is that the case here, or have you watched playthroughs where you went, "Oh wow, I've never quite heard that sound before." Absolutely. That, that, that's, uh, I, I have, I think I always t- uh, trend towards making something that surprises me. Uh, and, and I'm not afraid of having something that sounds a little bit uh, off. Uh, so <laughs> I, I made it very open and very random. And then uh, once in a while, I hear someone play and there was a little melody in there. And I was like, I didn't make this melody, but it, it's just like a random sequence of notes from the uh, from the arpeggiator that uh, ends up being like, oh, that that was a little theme, and that theme was for this player only. No one else will hear that theme, and I, I love that. I, I think that's so fun. I love that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that uh, you know, uh, Epic has been developing this tool called MetaSounds uh, that I imagine you're you're familiar with uh, for for use in Unreal projects as a as a, you know as a development environment. And they have huge amounts of these kinds of 
tools uh, available. And one of them that's very cool that I like a lot um, that is currently being underutilized is to that exact end, you can actually, uh, it, it can it can basically do deterministic randomization where it will generate that melody and then it will retain that and can keep it alive and persisted and use it for subsequent variations and that kind of thing as wow. well. So that yeah. those, that's those kinds of, yeah, those kinds of situations that you're describing where a little thing pops out and go, Oh, that's cool. It actually can endure, you know, uh, and, and not be ephemeral in the way that this, these systems naturally are, which I think is a cool way to kind of build on, on that. But I, I love that's that. I love idea, yeah. <clears throat> To me, there's something really magical about game design where the designers are creating this thing that's sufficiently alive that players engaging with it will yield unexpected results. You know, this is obviously the, when you think about like the immersive sim kind of games where, you know, like Deus Ex, where they're watching people play it and coming up with strategies to get past guards and things that they didn't even know that you could do. Uh, I, I love that. I think that's absolutely so inspiring and, I hadn't realized that your system is capable of that much versatility. It's that makes me want to go play the game a second time and really sort of linger in these in these uh, these places. Um, uh, how, how did you kind of QA this? Um, uh, given that, I mean, how did you even sort of reach a point where you said, "Okay, we can ship it" because after a certain point, it's not about, oh, I don't like that. It's about whatever happens, happens. You know what I mean? There's, there's an interesting challenge of where you find that line. It's a very good question. I I, I feel like I, I've just been listening to these uh, different patches in these different areas and just tuning based on my own experiences. Actually, something that I, I realize is that how when when you when you play it with someone else, you you are you, I'm sure you're aware of this. Like you listen in a different way. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you listen way more critically for <laughs> yes. annoyances, and uh, th this is something that really sticks out when you have like a generative music. I I was playing with my girlfriend, and we was she was stuck at a particular puzzle where the music got very annoying, and I I immediately started writing down what I wanted to do about it because it, this has to be a a pleasant experience this can't be annoying but but she was just stuck in a place where i i had not been stuck myself when i was playing it when i was testing it out so i i think the the qaing i i wish i could tell you how what 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 a good way of doing that is but i don't have an answer i think we just we we stopped when we had no more time and and I I was we would just have to be okay with releasing whatever that was and <laughs> and uh, and and it, it it I'm pretty happy with it uh, how it turned out. Well, as you ought to be, uh, it, it's really quite it's really quite amazing. Um, um, I one question I wanted to ask you I kind of hinted at a minute ago was that the. I'm curious to unpack also a little bit about the the intersection of the design, the game design and puzzle design with the music. Obviously, you already mentioned you enter a new area or you've unlocked a new mechanic. You know, new a new colored sphere has come into your into your uh, toolkit, and that it introduces new ways of interacting with the environment and different kinds of ways of thinking about these puzzles. Totally understand 
that you have stingers attached to those. But um, I, I, I'd love to hear generally about how you worked together. But but first, I want to I want to share with you my theory that I felt while playing it. I don't know if this is me projecting or if this is actually what you did. But whenever so these puzzles require you to kind of look at the way the different environment, the different environmental kind of components are interacting and, and then realize, okay, I've, I've clocked the logical sequence that needs to occur. I need to do things in the right way. Like for example, the blue sphere, the one, the one that made me smile was where you have to, you have to, uh, time it correct. There's a lot of timing ones that are fascinating, uh, where you have to really get it just right. Uh, but there's one where you have this sphere that makes the kind of shaft of blue gas turn solid or not. And it's one where once you let it go, it starts sliding and then you have to stop it and then come up in the middle of, of, of the, of the, of the thing. And what struck me was there were moments in the game where once I realized what to do, before I actually did it, the music would seemingly start to change because it's like it knew I figured it out, even though I hadn't done it yet, even though I I hadn't actually solved the puzzle. And I felt that repeatedly in the game where it seemed like a shift would occur because I, I thought, OK, I, it recognizes in my behavior somehow I've done something that you would only do if you know how to solve it. But the actual literal it's like it's like by if I have four keys and I've picked the correct key, but I haven't put it in the door yet, it just knows because I grabbed the right one, it knows I'm about to do it. And I would feel the music ushering me along. And I told a friend, I said, it's like the game was whispering in my ear. Okay, bravo, you've done it. Is that my imagination or is that correct? You are exactly right. Uh, spot on. Uh, that was, so, uh, how did you do that? Because that, it, I, I like that's seemingly very breakable. Uh, where if I, if I, it, it like how you know for a fact I got it, uh, and don't give me this false positive uh, encouragement. I'm I'm blown away. I thought that was so cool. I think uh, uh, this was. Uh, you might be surprised to hear that this was something that that happened very late, very very late uh, in the production. It was. Uh, uh, Jebe was thinking about, uh, this is his idea, he was thinking about how uh, there are certain places where we, he, he, he refers to it as expand the mind of the players. So the, the players reach a new level of understanding of the rules of, of our universe. Hmm. And uh, he, he has this, he calls it a ladder of understanding where every there is there are steps and and these it, it's not like oh you you interact with a new thing that does something local in a little area that's not a step but if if it is oh i understand now that a bullet will travel into an orb and continue going inside the orb uh, that is a step so uh, he thought out what what are these uh, steps and and then how can we uh, help the player understand that they are on the right track, exactly as you described, even if they cannot see what is going on in the other worlds. Because that, that's the thing with Cocoon is some of the gameplay takes place off screen because it happens in a different world than the one you're in. And that is by design. This is the core idea of the game. Mm -hmm. So we need to give people feedback that they are on the right track, even though they cannot see it. 
So he he made these custom components for uh, different places in the game where he would say, you have now all the prerequisites for solving this. You are absolutely on the right track. And he has watched players play, and he knows when you have this particular configuration of things and it's in the right state, you are going to solve it. There's no way you're not going to solve it. And as soon as we know that, put in a trigger, detects all of this, and then fires an event to the music system. The music system docks down relevant parts of the generative music and mm. plays little jingles that are custom made for this. D- d- how much like iteration did it? Because t- it sounds so simple, you know, like, yeah, it, here we go. One, two, three. But surely this was something that had to kind of be worked out, you know, over time before he really felt like it was behaving correctly and 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 had that nice flow to it. I think uh, Yebe had observed that players were having trouble in certain areas. And mm. we've seen enough playthroughs that he knows it. That, that's the the thing about the the way he designs game is games is that he he seems to know what is happening in inside the heads and we all think oh we have our own unique uh, understanding of this game and we are so uh, special when it comes to that but it, it turns out Yep kind of knows what is going through your mind at any point in this game it's very annoying actually but he's <laughs> incredibly good at getting what it, what is happening in your mind so he knows when to when we are feeling insecure, when it's getting a little bit much with the different worlds, there's like, this is the point. I can detect this. All my game logic is is set up to be able to detect this and then send an event to uh, to Jakob and then uh, I, I, I will play a little rewarding sounding jingle on top of it. So- Has there been, as you've, um, as it was play tested, you know, getting closer to to release, did you have to tune those things? Like, did that actually turn out to be correct? Because I, I would I imagine think, uh, that players, you know, they're always the arbiter, right? And sometimes are very yeah. humbling for us. I, I think it, it it ended up working out the way we wanted it to. The first couple of times it happens, you are not sure what's going on. You think maybe it's just part of the generative music or something because it kind of fits. Uh, right. but, they, but they are recognizable because they are all... First of all, they're all uh, generated from they're actually generated from voice uh, mm. by a, a weird vocoder thing that I made in Bitwig, and uh, mm. then they play these little notes that are in a particular scale, and that scale fits all the world, so it's just one scale, but it's very recognizable. Uh, it's a very recognizable scale. So when they hear it over and over again, they will notice. Oh, so. I, my th- my hypothesis of this this was rewarding me for solving a puzzle. It was actually correct. I am being rewarded now, and then they feel that stronger and stronger as the game uh, uh, proceeds. I can certainly attest to that. Uh, I felt that <laughs> I felt that very much. I was I was actually quite impressed, um, and um, it. Uh, yeah, I just I assume I I don't think you've. Um, I never found I, I I don't think I saw that you put out uh, some kind of soundtrack album, uh, right? Uh, because obviously a system like this would require you to subjectively, like you know, um, there was that game a couple of years ago called Ape Out, for example, where it's built around a lot of these uh, kind of modular bits of of uh, drum recordings, 
And uh, so to make an album, they basically just did a playthrough of the game and it, treated it like a live set. And, and, and knowing that yours will always be different on small and in big ways. Um, but I don't remember seeing, I looked around for, but I, 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 I didn't have much time to sort of properly, but I never saw one, but I would think that if you are going to do one, you would have to do something like this, or did you not and don't plan to? Uh, if I were going to release a soundtrack, I don't know. I think I should just say that I am going to release a soundtrack. This is not, I have not uh, announced this yet, but uh, of course I want to, and, and I have time to do it. So, uh, uh, so uh, what I did uh, was I, I did go and record, especially the, the there was a, a boss fight that I recorded uh, some elements from, and there is, uh, there is this particular very random sounding uh, synth motif in the in the, in a little bit later in the game that I recorded and I, so I, I I have to record it because I can't possibly replicate that manually. It's 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 too it's too hooked up uh, to to the game or too random in a way my my mind doesn't work. So uh, I recorded and then post produced it and and arranged the the recording uh, edited the recording to to be even better than the yeah uh, recording yeah no i love that uh this is all so endlessly uh, fascinating and awesome um one um i don't want to ignore the sound design aspect uh as well because obviously you know particularly the very tactile things like footsteps or moving you know like when the barriers come up or all the various kind of little obstacles like the little things that eat your little drone pals um these are these are very foley-esque but they're also fully synthesized as as i understand it so uh, is any of that generative as well or is it purely uh sculpted sound you know i imagine a lot of the same techniques but but more bespoke um I think I think there is one element that is real time synthesized. I don't remember how much it is used. Uh, I made a, a, a wind uh, kind of synthesizer that that uh, simulates wind or rain or something like that using uh, tiny little grains that can come mm. like arbitrarily close to each other. Uh, I think that's used a little bit, but uh, the vast majority is implemented in in normal if mod like no no uh, uh, plugins but then um, we uh, what happened during the, the process was that I, I i tried to do sound the sound design myself and i started uh, uh, making some prototype sounds and i made a footstep sound and i made i made a, a synthesized frog uh, call that was like i was so excited about it because it sounded like a real frog i thought it was amazing and uh, and then uh, uh, we we realized that this takes way too long. Like I can't <laughs> do this. And and is it even going to be good enough? I also started worrying about like uh, is it going to be sound uh, real enough in a way, like textured enough? My sounds are a little spacey and a little abstract and and not so great. Right. So we uh, we found two sound designers, uh, Julian and Mel, who. Uh, uh, who uh, we, we found from, they were from a place called Sonic College in, in Denmark, that is a, a sound design school. Uh, and those who were, I, I gave them the assignment of 
here's a clip from the game. Can you make sound design that is 100% synthetic because that is our concept? Can can you do can you do something like this? And then what I got from those two guys was uh, way better than what I could have done, and and <laughs> super detailed and real sounding and and textured and and all of the qualities that we were looking for. So we we hired uh, Julian, and he started just generating this huge pool of sounds for the game, including uh, footsteps, uh, wind, uh, rain, thunder alien creatures voices uh, everything and and he kept surprising us with how how real it sounded and how weird and alien it sounded as well uh that's awesome uh, i hadn't realized that yeah it's pretty rare to be able to find someone who can buy into the vision and especially the constraints you know it's uh especially younger folks you know that are really that, that Everyone always wants to kind of throw everything at it, you know, and, and um, uh, like I did a, I did a little contest on my, on my YouTube channel a couple of years ago where I, I just shared a single measure of a rhythm and I said, do, do anything you can imagine with this. Let's see what people come up with. And there was, there was one guy who, who, who took like uh, his violin and he, every sound he made came from the violin and he took that rhythm and he morphed it in all these different ways, but every sound, and he listened to the piece and it's, there's a lot of textures going on, you know, and he just milked everything he could get and he stretched things and it's percussive and it's all this. And I just, I was like, that's the spirit of this. I love, I love that somebody that doesn't go, okay, I own all these plugins. I own all these libraries. I have all this, but it's like, no, no. What if I narrow it down to a single parameter what can I do? Uh, that to me is always just very, you know, that's like, that's what I love about composers like Bach and, and a lot of the kind of uh, great masters who that always seemed to be what they had in common, you know, is real, real constraint of technique uh, and, and showing if you can get an hour of music out of four notes, that's pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. I, I love that too. I think, I think that's very, that, that's always been something I've tried to, or I've been inspired by at least like I, I, I wanted to to make something out of nothing. Like uh, what can I do if I only use sine waves or something like that? And I think the the I have a particular fascination for uh, ga uh, games from the 80s and early 90s where there is so much synthesis. And if they even have some of them have sound design made with synthesizers and it, it's like it, it was so cool that they managed to do that with this limited hardware, and and that that inspired me as well. Like, can I force myself to do something like that as well? Yeah. Well, I think that this one is a real kind of landmark. You know, inside inside really showed us on a purely creative and design level, just elegance. But this, I think, you've injected some real technique. From both music and sound that uh do more than that uh, they really kind of raise the bar it's one of those it's a deceptively simple package which i to me that's the best things that are kind of um patting themselves on the back in their design are in a way less impressive than something that's just tightly wound up and it just offers it in in what it is uh it's it's you know it's it's like when you go to a very nice like Michelin star restaurant and they'll serve you a plate that has one bite on it. And yeah. some, some people might look at that and call it pretentious, but I always say 
I admire the confidence of going, I'd, I'd like you to enjoy that one bite that has been absolutely just slaved over to try to make it the most perfect thing we can imagine and, and let the memory of it do most of the work, you know, and not this prolonged experience. And I see that in your, it, it, with it, what was going on at play dead. And now obviously here with cocoon, it's very exciting. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm very grateful. Uh, my, my only other question, and then I'm happy to turn you uh, loose in your evening. And thank you so much again for making the time is, um, how has it been watching the reception to it? You know, obviously with inside the game was enormously well received, um, but your contributions were probably slightly more kind of in the shadows. You're very, very core to this game's uh, success and, and reception. How has that been? I, and we, we, uh, we were so, you you would think that we would be uh, confident when we release a game like this. Uh, we 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 worked on some some games that got great reviews and and but we were so nervous and and I think Yevit uh, uh, didn't know how the game would be received and I I I did keep saying I I don't know about the whole music business but I feel like everything else in the game is so <laughs> so good that we are gonna get good reviews. People are going to like this. And uh, I, I, I think we, uh, I was right first of all, <laughs> and secondly, I, I, I hear um, some wildly different views on on how people heard uh, uh, the music. Like I, I heard mm. uh, a reviewer say that it was just an awful uh, noise, and <laughs> he didn't want to even want to talk about it. And uh, and and some people barely notice that it's there, which is also fine. I'm, it, it it doesn't have to be like the ambient music, especially, uh, is not trying to be in foreground. Uh, and but then the the few people who talk about it are intrigued and talk about it in a way which is like that 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 is exactly what I wanted to to inspire in people. Maybe it's not the it's not you know melodic or has like. Uh, this uh, weird quality to it, but I wanted to make something that was unique, and I'm I wanted to see my little music plugins running on people's hardware out there in the world, and I accomplished that, and and uh, seems to work out, and that that was that's like the best thing for me, and and uh, the sound design is something I'm extremely proud of, but I I feel like it's mostly. Uh, due to our amazing sound designers, uh, they they took my silly idea and turned it into something very very confident and uh, well executed, and I'm so happy with that. Well, uh, that's there's no better note to end on, I think, than than that. Uh, so I thank you uh, so much, and I'm not sure when this will uh, publish. I know that. Uh, we already saw the game get some love at uh, the Game Awards uh, nominations um, uh, yesterday, I think, as of when we we're recording this. Um, and um, I, I, who knows when it when it comes out, uh, it should um, um, have um, hopefully many more uh, waiting for it uh, uh, because uh, yeah, it's a real it's a real it's a real feat, and it's one of those that much like inside in limbo uh 
makes all the other designers and game companies around the world reimagine what's possible and and kind of raise their own consciousness you know and uh it's to me that's just terribly exciting thank you so much awesome that's great to hear pleasure thanks for joining thank you for joining us for the game makers notebook for more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.